It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight... We congratulate Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon, a.k.a. the Gastrogaze, on their first cookbook, Hot Fat. And then we head to County Mayo to meet McKinley Neal, co-founder of PAX Whole Foods and Eco Goods, which is a sustainable grocery and minimal waste shop in Westport. But before we hear from our guests, may I take this opportunity to remind you about how you can make contact with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can drop me an email, Sharon at SharonNoonan.com, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation, and I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So earlier this year, we met Lily Ramirez Foran, who came on the show to talk about her first cookbook, Tacos, which was published as a result of a Kickstarter project by Blasta Books, an imprint of Nine Bean Rose Books, and the project was spearheaded by renowned cookbook editor Kristen Jensen. And the second book in the series has just been published. Hot Fat is written by Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon, a.k.a. The Gastrogaze, and I spoke to the couple last Friday to congratulate them and to find out more about the book. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Welcome, Patrick and Russell. Great to have you here on the programme. Congratulations on your cookbook, Hot Fat. Tell me how it all came about. Thank you so much, Sharon. Uh, a pleasure to be asked and invited. Um, Hot Fat is how it came about was us to always come at food from, I guess, a unique perspective or a, a unique angle. And we found that frying as a kitchen activity has been vilified for so many years. Um, And we thought it's a valid way of creating crunch. It is a delicious way of adding flavour to meals. And it's all about that crave-worthy crunch that you can only get from a fryer. So we kind of thought this could be our angle and it could be um, the kind of cookbook that everyone craves. Those like special occasion at the weekends, bring out the fryer, have a gorgeous fried feast um, and have it to be really, really special. So I guess that's the Mm. place it started. And then if you go back a little bit further, we've been living in this current house after um, nearly two years living with your parents. We then got our place ourselves here. And one of the first things we bought was a fryer because myself really wanted one. (laughs) It was one thing I missed a lot. And um, we were finding in terms of like the content mix of things that maybe we were putting up regularly on our social media or whatever, People, it was, we were like among the only ones who were ever frying anything or, you know, heavily invested in frying things. So it kind of was this, uh, to ourselves, an on-running joke that was like, I bet we'll end up writing a cookbook one day and it'll end up being about deep fat frying. And, and, here, then, we are. and here we are. 
And the cookbook market is fairly saturated with various different topics. So it is always challenging to come up with something novel and different, which you definitely have. Mm -hmm. And up until a number of years ago, fat was always bad, but there was mm. that it was making a comeback that good fats are good for you. Like we all need a bit of fat. Whenever you say you bought a fryer, Russell, a deep fat fryer, an air fryer, a saucepan that you put the oil into, what, what type of a fryer did you buy? We bought, we actually have two of them now because uh, of the testing, but um, we bought a fryer, it's, it's the one that's recommended actually in the book, it's a Tifal Oleo Clean, and it's um, one that filters out the oil um, after it's done, so any of the bits that remain sedimentary at the very bottom, you can just wipe away and clean the dishwasher and it's very convenient like that. Um, so we did a bit of research because I was like, I was just going to buy any oil fryer and you were like, you've gone on and on and on about this for so long, you're going to get one, do your research, get a good one and that one will last and all this type of stuff. And that's how we ended up settling on that. Um, a pot with oil, we you know, we we cook on induction in this uh, in our house at the moment, and it's completely fine to do the pot type of thing as long as you have a thermometer. You know your safety exits, and you know how to put out a um a if it does flare up, which can very easily happen if you're not too experienced with it. But the air fryer is is a little awkward bit awkward silence <laughs> yeah the air fryer is a little bit of the bane of our lives in a way we have one we of course we have one we have to test recipes all the time whether it's from this book or otherwise just to try things out and we have one and a lot of things in this don't work in an air fryer it's as simple as that i describe it as a bit like making a cup of tea in a toaster they're two completely different um purposes everything like that it has its place it does work as a tabletop oven but you don't necessarily get the same effect using the same methods as you would in a fryer. And they're useful, great for sausages, not so great for um, our particular recipe of fried chicken. And trust me, I tried it and it was not nice. So, <laughs> And interesting that you say about sausages in it, we have an air fryer. I, did, I don't buy any of the gadgets in this house. Mm -hmm. It's my husband. And it's a flipping industrial-sized one. And there's barely enough counter space for it, but I mean, it it is pride of place. And sausages, of course, are kind of a staple in this house. And I've always liked to grill my sausages. I find you can get the nice, even cook around mm -hmm. them all. Whereas I have a, a nine-year-old son that he must see you frying them in the frying pan or forget about it. He won't eat them because of the texture. And of course, I have... I've said, God, this is great, the oil air fryer, just throw them in there, and no, they don't, they just don't meet the grade at all. In wow, the I love how discerning they are. Yeah. <laughs> oh and that's only one of them, and that's only one particular <laughs> item of food. But I, you, you have to be commended for including in your book, because you were talking there, Russell, about the safety side of things, that whenever it comes to frying, that, that safety side is very important. Cleaning out the, the deep fat fryer can be um, a bit laborious. I have visions of one that I was gifted whenever I went to university and mm -hmm. I'd say by the end of university it hadn't been cleaned out once but it had been used quite a lot by various different individuals I'd say straight into the skip 
it won't stand <laughs> the only place for it. So, I mean, there's nothing like fried food. It's delicious. We all Absolutely, yeah. And, like, I think you hit on an important point there that almost everyone has that experience of the dreaded fryer at home that is never cleaned and it's in a cupboard somewhere gathering dust and it's taken out probably two times every year and the only thing in it is ever chips. And in hot fat, we obviously have delicious inspiration on every page but it's it's also educational too and it's also instructional and informative because I think there is a stumble about frying in terms of the safety and understanding how it works and how hot it can go and how can I clean it out afterwards and how can I fry safely so that was really really important that we included that on our end because it had also it had also been kind of an education on our end too, um, and I think after you get over that understanding, a world of opportunity opens up. And I think it's akin to anything in the kitchen. After you get confidence in it or are handed confidence, you can then go forward and apply that in so many ways. And frying is exactly that. And look, let's talk recipes now and the inspiration that is in the book because you are Boyne Valley Food Ambassadors and you have name-checked a number of your, your pals from the region and, of course, outside of the region, Irish producers as well. So tell me about Bally McKenney Farm because you have mentioned the lovely heritage and purple potatoes in the book. Mm, awesome. Maria Maria is a very, very great friend. And what Maria and David do at Bally McKenney is amazing stuff. And I guess Hot Felt was very much a lockdown project for us. And we she's she was within our 2K and within our 5K. And at times when you could drive around, she became my counsellor. Um, Any time I'd drive around and it was a bad day or whatever. So we kind of kept each other um, company a lot like that. Um, we wanted to include somewhere so many of the producers that we know and love and that's I guess at the heart of what we do. We just, we, we love, you know, we boxes of our favourite things. We love so many things from uh, various Irish producers and around our particular area and, you know, some of Maria's varieties work very well as chips, but not all of them, and she'll say the same herself. But some of them work very well as crisps. And then the first um, first recipe in the book is for some homemade crisps, which, for my 30th birthday, one of the presents you got me, you actually got me two presents, Patrick. I did. Well, you got me many presents because I'm great, but you got one of the presents that you got me was, a, you know those um, chip makers that you put the potato in, it goes through a... Um, a little metal grid and it comes out as chips oh. that was one of them the second one was um a, one of those mandolins that's a waffle shape so i was able to make game crisps so i got a big bag of potatoes from maria she hadn't any idea about this book until well after it was announced or whatever and i was just going around and i just was like do you want to try these and i made some crisps with the different color varieties and everything like that bit of salt bit of pepper or a bit of vinegar rather and she was blown away she loved them 
And I was like, okay, that's in the book, sorted. It's a great recipe. And it's just the colour of them. It's a bit special. Very much, I have to say, we're very much inspired by um, Connor Halpenny at the Square in Dundalk. He does great crisps as a little snack um, in the restaurant. So it was very much inspired by that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but all throughout it, I guess, as well. You know, we've got, in Boyne Valley alone, you've got, like, the Smoke and Butcher, uh, Hugh Maguire's Black Pudding is mentioned in there. Um, We've got Carlingford oysters. Carlingford actually, oysters. actually, um, there's a tempura oysters in there too, and I think um, oysters scare everyone uh, until you've had them a few times and then understand the incredible texture and flavour. And um, Carlingford oysters are some of the best in the country. Um, so if you're afraid of oysters, try frying them because it kind of changes the texture and that tempura around it just creates a whole other world of flavour. Um, so other other producers inspire us all of the time. So we had to include as many in this as we possibly could. Well, let's stay with oysters because that, that actually was the page that I had earmarked to talk to you about. Okay. I love oysters, adore oysters, but I cannot stand them heated or tempured. I have to have them in their natural raw state. Just not a fan of them fried or flamed or anything uh, of that. You see, for us, that was our first experience of them. Um, all thanks to Nal Sabongi, basically in um, Claw and Temple Bar and a small one. Uh, whatever maybe let's say six seven years ago and um, it was newly opened and we went in and they were like have you ever tried an oyster i was like no it's like have one have one torched and the first one we had was a torched oyster and it was incredible i was like do you want a naked one yes and that was it and yeah. i think i think ultimately us two are also oyster purists um you, you cannot get superior than having it freshly shucked exactly how it comes the instant hit of the sea however as an option every so often i think a tempura oyster oh, uh, is a special treat and in hot fat our our ultimate aim is really exploring texture because frying offers the opportunity to achieve a crisp exterior that nothing else in the kitchen can and so our exploration in this is trying to find ways to apply that to all kinds of ingredients from oysters to frankfurters to croquettes to chicken to scotch eggs anything you know so um tempura oysters aren't for everybody but if you do like an, an oyster i would suggest at least trying it once and actually it's funny you bring up that page because of course throughout the whole book are um nikki hooper's incredible illustrations and there's one of a martini in there and now it's the only um Actually, the word dirty isn't even in there saying. But um, there's a martini there. It's a dirty martini, and we suggest that you make um, the supplementary juice from the oyster and use it to make a martini. But that illustration, I saw it, and I was like, that's so perfect. And it was my first tattoo, is that. Your <laughs> first, like, it's perfect. Your first tattoo is the martini glass? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, yeah. And was it a result of the illustration? Because we should let listeners know that the cookbook doesn't have photography in it it's illustrations because that's a very mm -hmm. cost effective way and probably a really 
quick way to do the book during lockdown that you were experimenting at home. You took a photograph on your phone, you WhatsApped it to the illustrator, and then she was able to, to knock it up nice and quickly. So is it of, it's of Nikki's illustration, is it? It is indeed, yeah, yeah it's right there well, on I, me. Oh, there. wow, because I, I, I didn't like, whenever you weren't saying where it was, I didn't like to say, <laughs> can you show it to me? No, it's not there, no. <laughs> it, it was somewhere else. So, yeah. wow, that's really interesting. Your first uh, yeah. tattoo. Good I was man. like, my first cookbook, got to get my first tattoo of something, and everyone assumed it was the cover, and no, I was not going to be that predictable on this occasion, <laughs> so... <laughs> Well done, yeah. No, that's great. No, I was, again, I had it opened at this page. One, because of the tempura, not into having the oysters cooked, because I just think they're fabulous yeah. in their natural state, as as you, you would agree with me that they are fabulous like that. Mm. Secondly, because I love the map showing yeah. the different oyster producers around Ireland, the island of Ireland. And then I, I was kind of like, yeah, not sure about the juice now in the martini, <laughs> but do love it with the oyster. So it's great that there's ideas in there for people to challenge themselves with as well. Absolutely. And like in hot fat, even though it's about frying, there's there's um, there's inspiration in there for other flavors for sides for sauces for drinks even so um i think there's probably a preconception of it's all heavy stuff it's all huge um hunks of you know chicken or corn dogs or onion rings and yes it has got those but that's also offset by sauces and sides and sweets. Yes, like if you imagine you're going to a restaurant and like I keep saying this about when people talk about like, oh, I don't really like fried food or whatever. I go, okay, see when you go to the go to the beach, what do you get? A bowl of stew? No, you get fish and chips when you're there. You go to a tapas restaurant, you know, chicharrones, like deep fried pork bits, you know, amazing. Or some croquettas, amazing, all fried. Uh, go to the Chinese restaurant, you get some prawn toast or spring rolls and wontons, all deep fried. So it's that kind of thing of like, underneath it all we're all a little bit in love with this type of food we may not cook it at home but we do love it and i think it's it's whether it's childhood whether it's a bit of indulgence whether it's i hate to use the word treat or anything like that but whether it is a treat of a weekend to be you know cooking something a bit more uh elaborate it's it's a it's a great manner to cook things in and get a great amount of satisfaction from really easily and it is very diverse, as you say, you have the snacks, you have the sides, you have the mains, you have the desserts. And if I had to ask you um, to choose like your favourite sweet, your favourite savoury, one of you is looking horrified, the other is going straight into the book ready. He, you know which one is your favourite, Russell? I'm torn. I'm kind of torn because I, I am the apple hand pies, which... You know, may look familiar um, from a certain golden arch. Um, these don't remain warm for 24 hours after you buy them. Um, but we were like, we wanted to make sure we got the texture right of it. This was a fun part of it because we were like, we don't want to reinvent the wheel or anything. It's a great product of a deep fried apple pie. 
but theirs are too sweet. Theirs doesn't actually have a diversity of flavour. And we're like fans of like things like cinnamon and cardamom together from our travels around Sweden in particular. So we were like, we need to incorporate that into it and amp it up. So I think we went on like a couple of little trips through the drive-thru and just got the pies and we're like, right, how thick is that pastry? Get a, get a, a ruler out there and having a look at it like that. And trying, I think, about six or seven different varieties of whether, you know, chunk up the apples, cut them into slices, all of these types of things to try and figure out how perfect this would be. And they're amazing. And I think that just has such a, heart, a place in my heart for them. And I think um, it's really important for, you know, to, to point out that to the, the non-food writer or somebody that's not in the industry... They probably don't realize how much time, effort, work, research goes into a cookbook. Mm -hmm. like you just oh, knock up 50 recipes, write them out there. But the recipe test inside of things is so important to make sure that the, the dish comes out exactly as you yeah. want it to. It's scary because you're putting it into print. And it's going to live there forevermore, um, and you have to stand over that. So yeah, I think we agonized over absolutely everything, and like, I think you have to because you're hoping that these stand up in any kitchen anywhere, and any experience in the kitchen as well. So having the uh, instructions really really clear having the quantities absolutely precise having the temperature of the oil yeah. as it as it isn't always yeah. 180 yeah. it often changes having those specifics is so so important and we actually were you know we we're very lucky that we had each other to do this because often especially our kitchen being so small it was often a case of i've done this recipe i've written it out printed it out go and make it i'm not telling you what to expect just follow it and see how it goes and going back and forth with each other and then like sending it to a couple of friends who have fryers very few friends have fryers but a few of them who were like look I, I, I I'm not fully there on this or fully confident in it can you try it out they gave it a go everything was great so it was just trying to bring all of that together um was fun but at times it was like for us I, I remember the the speedy chicken nuggets the two of us having having like not an argument, we don't really fight or anything, but it was just this like conversation of, do we put an egg into it? And you're like, it doesn't need an egg, it's, it's coated in egg. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you get the egg? And then you were like, I'm going to make two batches and tell me which one's your favourite. I was like, this one, because it has the egg in it. He's like, that's the one that's going in the book. It has no egg in it and it's delicious, <laughs> okay? So there we go. But it must be nice, now you're talking about having animated conversations there in the kitchen, but it must be nice to work in a pair and to have that teammate with you all the time yeah. that you can knock, you know, knock ideas off. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're we're re we're really really lucky. I always say it's great because I get to. It, I I think of like when this was published and all the different things about this. I'd kind of hate if it was just me being like, you know, I've got a cookbook out. Look, this isn't this amazing. Be happy for me. I love that. You know, I get to share all of this experience with the boy I love, you know, type of thing. And I just think it's so amazing that we get to have this fun life together that's so adventurous and so crazy and wacky and unconventional in terms of a job. And we get to share all of these big moments together like that. Uh, even if we do have the arguments over whether an egg goes its way. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and come here, did, 
did you did you share the book signing or was it like Russell signed and then passed it over and Patrick yeah. signed? And it's actually and because Patrick does a lovely ampersand. So if if I start it, I'm a, I'm a, I have a terrible handwriting. That's in like I cannot write with my hand. It's just so bad. It cannot be read by anyone. Um. So I just am like Russell Grant, and then you're like and Patrick, and any of the dedications <laughs> and whatnot. It was an assembly line for a few weeks. Um. Because we tried to sign pretty much almost everything mm. um, especially any orders that come through our site uh, can be personalised and signed uh, how, however the customer wants so and we've gotten some weird requests weird so. yeah <laughs> you know so uh, I think we have it down to a T now and it's a uh, I started I'll hand it hand it over he adds his name and then everybody's happy and everything can be read properly. Well, look, before we finish up, we have to say about the gastro gaze. It didn't start out as a business or you had no idea it was going to evolve into a business. And that was in 2013. So next year you will be celebrating 10, 10 years. So, oh my God, yeah. Thank so, you for oh telling God, us. You need to, I, I was just going to say. I did. <laughs> I what do you have in mind to, to mark the occasion? Wow, oh, that's a, good one. a great question. I think we've achieved a lot in the 10 years. Um, quit. As you said, uh, we started this having no real plan of turning it into our jobs, turning it into our livelihood. Um, I guess on that list for that 10 years was to ultimately get a book. Uh, we probably uh, hoped it would be in five years. But that was not to be. And for the 10 years, I guess at this point now, we have established ourselves a lot at home internationally. And we know ourselves, we know the angle that our content takes, and we know who the audience is. So from here on out, it's about streamlining and absolutely understanding everything that we do and everything that we do not do either. So I think there'll be hopefully extra cookbooks in the future. There'll be heaps of products and merch. Yeah. And I think this experience has helped us to really understand the process of writing. And I think also it's helped us understand what we love to do most as well. Um, you know, as you say, it hasn't always been our job. It, it was a hobby and we are so... Um, happy and blessed and lucky and everything like that that we have been able to make this our job for the two of us to have a roof over our head and everything like that and touch wood long may it continue um, but we're you know not how should I say it we, we do a lot of work that it's like we didn't expect to be like editing videos constantly or you know the some of the photography that we do we love doing but it's like i just want to write things i want to write longer things so like recently we set up um a sub stack in uh, kind of a newsletter subscription thing it's beyond the paywall because it's the thing of i'm not going to wait on a door to knock i'm going to just do the types of restaurant reviews long form features and the likes ourselves and put it out there for the small portion of our audience who maybe don't see us as purely just instagrammers or influencers or bloggers who think of us as food writers and that's the kind of thing that 
putting out into the world that we are food writers and very proud to be. We're also good Instagrammers and good bloggers and so on and so forth. But trying to get that joy back into it and reminding ourselves why we started everything and why we started what we do and why we love it. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably kind of meandering in and around that kind of world growing up into our teenage years, but a very mature teenager, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, listen, before we go, you better tell everybody where they can get their hands on hot fat. Um, this is the weird thing to say. Um, it's in shops all around Ireland. <laughs> like, we walked into Fallon and Burn yesterday. I've been shopping there since I was about 15 because I had notions about me. And my book is in Fallon and Burn, so it's completely freaking out. But it's in the likes of there, it's on uh, Dubray, Irish Design Store, Meze, Pudding Row. Lots of the independent retailers and cafes around the country are selling it. We're so grateful that they are. Um, we have a website as well where we are selling the book. We are also selling our limited edition spice bag seasoning, which is basically it says you have to do a recipe uh, in this in the book and you have it for plenty of uses. And we also have some limited edition, I think, yeah, limited edition actually because it's selling quite well and um, the socks from the Irish Sock Society as well which have the cover um, emblazoned on them and a bit of ketchup as well and um, so that's at gastrogaze.square.site but the easiest thing to do is just go to our Instagram and chances are we have it's we, we've been pushing the living daylights <laughs> out of it there <laughs> well listen congratulations again Patrick and Russell thanks so much for talking to me about it and continued success Thank you so much, Thank Sharon. You, really Sharon. appreciate it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, and just before the break, we heard all about Hot Fat by Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon, the latest cookbook in the Blaster book series, created by Kristen Jansen. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now in December 2018, Pax Whole Foods and Eco Goods, a sustainable grocery and minimal waste shop, opened in Westport. I caught up with McKinley Neal this morning to find out more. So let's have a listen. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. McKinley, you're very welcome to the programme. You have a very exciting business up there in Westport. Pax Whole Foods and Eco Goods. Tell me all about the business, a sustainable grocery and minimal waste shop. It sounds really interesting. Hi, Sharon. Thanks very much for having me. Um, so the business is what we would describe, yes, as a minimal waste or zero waste or, or bulk foods refill shop. And the idea is basically that we eliminate packaging for the customer uh, when they do their regular shop. So we have uh, well over 300 um, food and liquid products that can be refilled into customers' own containers. So any empty jars, Tupperware, even reused paper bags that they have at home, they can bring those clean and dry into the shop. They do um, a first wave of the containers to do a tear weight so that they're not being charged for the weight of any container that they use. And then they're set loose in the shop to choose any of our 
you know, hundreds of uh, bulk organic foods. So um, at the moment, I think we have just maybe one or two spices that aren't organic quality. All the rest are certified organic. And we have a large emphasis on buying from as many Irish suppliers as possible. So um, we have three different types of Irish organic oats, seven different types of Irish organic flour, high bank orchards, um, apple cider vinegar available as a refill, as well as uh, second nature oils, organic rapeseed oil. And we're always working with more producers to see can we help them make the transition to supplying in bulk which cuts down obviously their own packaging um, time and uh, materials and then also um, yeah we're just we're just always looking for you know new products that we can stock but we have an excellent range of grains and pasta um, nuts and seeds all kinds of dried fruits sugars flowers like I said huge range of herbs and spices and the beauty of those products as well is that people can buy exactly the amount that they need so we talk about bulk but we buy in bulk the largest quantities we can get usually 25 kilo sacks of of um, of the products but people can buy in any quantity that they want so if they you know only need 10 grams of sage for a recipe they can get just that and indeed before Christmas or special occasions we have people coming in with recipes and buying exact amounts um, of food which which greatly reduces food waste on the customer end as well. Um, and then in our shop, we go beyond food. So we work with a lot of Irish uh, producers, condiments. We sell condiments that are only in glass jars and some of them we we do a return scheme. So we clean the, the glass jars and return them to the producers. And we're trying to do more of that. Um, we have some pre-packed things that we sell that people can do as a deposit and return scheme. So they're in jars already, they can grab them and go. And then we have a huge range of refillable cleaning products also um, as well as personal care items nearly all produced by Irish artisan makers um, and then we have you know reusables that you know for coffee cups for water bottles uh, lunch boxes loads more so that's just a brief overview of what we do. Well, it is one of those types of shops that there's a few more of them in Ireland now, but whenever mm. you opened it in December 2018, I would imagine that it was a fairly new concept in Mayo. Tell me how the idea came about and what motivated you to open the business. Right, yeah. So at the time we opened, I believe there were two other shops, one in Clonakilty and one in Innes. Um, and at the time, um, I had been living in Ireland for just over a year. So I'm, I'm originally from the U.S., but I've lived away from the U.S. for quite a long time now since I graduated college. Um, and I'd lived in Mexico for a few years and then I was living in Germany. Um, and that's where I met my Irish uh, partner. And we uh, decided to move to Ireland after for him many years in Germany and me nearly seven. Um, and I was used to living in a very urban environment, but I had access three times a week to a farmer's market nearly directly in front of my doorstep. And um, I was used to, you know, having access to fresh organic food on a regular basis, plus then walking to any number of supermarkets, including some that were all organic only, and most things were sold loose. There weren't any bulk refill shops in Hamburg at the time. Many have since opened, but um, I moved here to Ireland and I was working another job. I'd been thinking for a long time about leaving. And then when I was on maternity leave, um, 
and seeing just all of the packaging that I really had no control over, um, you know, from the supermarket. The first switch I made was to, to switch to an organic vegetable box from Green North Organics in Galway. Um, but then that didn't address the problem of, you know, all of the things that I was used to making. You know, when I lived in Mexico, I, I learned to soak and cook beans and that became a regular part of my diet. And all of these were in, you know, small plastic packaging and, um, it just it just was frustrating for me honestly to to see that and so when i had an opportunity i was on maternity leave like i said and they uh, they did a big company reorganization gave me a job that would have required quite a bit of travel again um, across europe and emerging markets and i said actually no thanks I'll, I'll i'll take a redundancy and go do something else and so i was fortunate enough to have the money to um, start the business and you know i kind of had in mind that I would just create the shop that I wanted to be able to shop in and thought, um, you know, there would be other people like me around the time I was thinking about it, but was a little bit unclear. Um, a local woman here in Westport, who's a secondary school teacher and has been trying, had been trying to live as zero waste as possible, um, gave a, give a talk at the local uh, town hall theater and they they had booked a very small room expecting maybe 30 people and they had to very quickly move it into the main hall because hundreds of people came to hear speak about that. Um, and so it was clear that here in the West of Ireland, many people were concerned about plastic waste packaging, uh, the provenance of their foods. And so it all just came together um, to show me, it, you know, would be possible to um, open a shop that people would want to shop in. And your background then, is it in retail? Is it in marketing? Like what skills from your 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 previous roles did you did you bring to the business? Yeah, that is interesting. I have never even worked in a retail shop. So I, I worked from the time I was 14, but I was very heavily involved with horses. I grew up in Kentucky um, and I thought I would be an equine vet. I worked for an equine vet for two years and then I, uh, my degree is in Spanish literature and I fell into doing uh, human resources work uh, and I worked for two years um, for an American company in Mexico and then they were the ones that sent me um, to Germany. It was actually a, a spirits company. And um, then, you know, I, I kind of traveled all, all over the world doing, um, I was switching always between um, HR business partner roles and learning and development and organizational development. So I was working with all of our businesses in different parts of the world, mostly across Europe and emerging markets, um, yeah, um, the UAE, South Africa, and India. Um, and I worked very closely with our finance people and, and gleaned a lot of information. And we worked on training programs, developed them for our for our team. But no, I had never even considered opening my own business. Um, so it's been learning a lot as I've gone on about retail, about um, just running a business generally, and about this, you know, the, the difficult challenge of, of sourcing all of the things that I wanted to have in this particular kind of shop, because there wasn't a lot of expertise to draw on and it's very context specific, you know, where we're going, you know, to, to small producers and trying to explain the concept and get them on board. And then we're also sourcing from larger distributors that do, you know, the bulk foods and Brexit has posed a challenge, of course, as has COVID and, you know, every other thing going on in the world at the moment. 
Well, one of the, the challenges with a new business, whenever you are one of the, the early adopters or first to market, is educating the consumer. It sounds like your HR background has been very useful to you in probably creating in-house training programs for your team, because you do have a team with a very international background. Mm, that's right. Yes. So we are four women in the business. Um, so three employees, uh, one manager who's French and then a, a Swiss German and a German woman. And um, it's they've all come to us, you know, um, to, to, to ask for work, basically, because all of them are very interested in our concept. But yes, we spend a lot of time learning. There, there are a, a million things I've learned just about, um, about food, about bulk food in particular, about, um, you know, just sourcing in the best possible way with as little waste as possible, engaging with suppliers, having discussions, but then within the team, you know, bringing all of that information back. And so we have, you know, a constant ongoing chat about food and how to prepare it, questions that customers are asking about food, household cleaning in an eco-friendly way, um, you know, reusing things, how to do it, what makes sense, how to do it, you know, without spending money. And that's the irony of running a shop of this kind is it's, it's not a constant sales pitch. I mean, often I and members of my staff would get in a conversation with people and they would ask, Oh, do I need to buy a jar for that? For example. And oftentimes people would say, no, check first. What do you have at home? You don't need to buy things to reduce waste. You know, um, that's become kind of trendy, but, um, you can, you can start where you are and, and, reuse without spending any money, you know, kidding yourself out. Um, and, you know, that's the interesting thing. But, you know, I have an amazing team of people who are really committed to testing everything, to trying, to figuring out. And, you know, I'm just thinking to yesterday, one of our suppliers who who does bulk chocolate for us so he, he's created a number of different chocolate things and we buy it in 10 kilos or more and sell it to people the things are going really well and we're in this process of product development essentially with him where we source some things for him and he gives us samples when he sends up our order and we have this kind of honest exchange of feedback about what do we think we'll sell how do we talk to the customers about it what are all of you know the, the product benefits or or things you know how do we sample and get people um you know, interested, but in, in the long run, it's really benefited both of our businesses to have this close cooperation. And, you know, I'm involved in that and every member of the team is as well. The collaboration is always fantastic. It's a win-win for both sides of the fence. And tell me about Brexit and COVID because you opened the business in December 2018. So you were open just a year and a few months whenever COVID hit. How did that affect the business? Yeah, so I can say I was think I was very thankful that we had a, a year and a bit to get the business established because we have an amazing local community of support. But obviously, uh, COVID changed everything. We actually closed the business to the self-service that we were founded on as in people come in with their own containers and they operate, you know, all of the dispensers and everything and the scale systems themselves. But we saw people getting nervous 
before the Irish government announced the first lockdown and you know because our shop is a very social environment where people are moving around and touching a lot of things we just noticed that it, it wasn't suiting people and also you know we were very uncertain and cautious about you know how was this going to affect ourselves and our families and so we switched to counter service nearly a week before the first lockdown was announced and we continued that for nearly a full two years longer than some of the other shops did as well because um, we just knew quite a lot of our customers still really appreciated the fact that we were doing the filling for them they they felt you know fully confident that they could come to us we were following a lot of protocols to keep everyone safe and um and it was you know just a lot of work so we were close to reopening you know when restrictions uh, around social distancing and things were uh, were ended you know quite abruptly last autumn um but then we saw that the cases you know quickly started to rise and so we kept it through um through february of this year um and it was a delight obviously to go back to the to the the engaging way that we've always operated and welcome people back in but we have still con continued to fill containers for customers who don't feel up to it or you know it's worked really well with people with small kids who you know find it difficult to come in and, and do it on on their own and then obviously like so many other businesses we set up a website um i had been slow in setting up a website before covid because of the sheer number of products that we have which is um, nearly 400 refillable items across the shop um and then there are certain items obviously that we cannot ship nationwide which is refills of cleaning products um so, you know, there are certain things, you know, there quite a lot that could go online, but it was very tedious of every single individual herb and spice and making a decision of what increments do we sell them in for herbs and spices. It's 10 grams for most other things. It's 100 grams. And then people can choose to add multiples, for example. Um, and so we initially set up the website to meet the demand for kind of click and collect because there were some people during COVID, obviously, who didn't feel comfortable bringing their own jars, but wanted to be able to order from us. In the first couple of weeks, it was chaos of just getting getting emails, um, you know, that would just say, you know, I want chickpeas and rice and whatever. And we'd have to write back and say, okay, you know, how, how, how many chickpeas essentially, you know, do you want 200 grams, 500 grams or a kilo? And then, you know, we have seven times types of rices, which of, which of the rice do you want? And so, um, you know, we, we, we got the food online as quickly as possible. And then we just really worked steadily to get all of the non-food items, which is, you know, also hundreds more products and then you know with variations of different patterns or colors and things like that so uh you know we're flat out for a, a period just getting ourselves online um and so that was the biggest uh kind of workload and and that's work it's it's been a it's been a huge payoff off in the end but you know it's it's like running two different businesses essentially the in-shop business and then the online business because consumer behavior is very different um as in you know people will order quantities of things on line that they wouldn't ever kind of walk into a shop and order and that that's for food and non-food items um but it's you know we've continued to we have a, a good customer base across um ireland now where people um order online especially for food we'll see people ordering every six to eight weeks and kind of you know stocking up and then coming back to us um and we've just launched a refer a friend um option as well to you know encourage people because we've seen that word of mouth has been huge to supporting our business and then back to brexit um 
So Brexit was huge for us because initially we were buying the large majority of our organic bulk foods and some cleaning products from uh, a co-op, a workers' cooperative in the UK, and then sourcing other things locally. Um, and then we had a number of UK distributors for non-food goods. But what we've seen, you know, in the long term, is you know it's been difficult. You know, I had to establish new relationships with some large distributors of again really large bulk organic food options of things that aren't grown in Ireland, rice, beans, lentils, um, and, you know, sugar and things like that. Um, but we have been able to make the switch to, to engage more directly with more Irish suppliers, more of whom have started also since COVID. So a lot more smaller businesses getting into things. And I'm constantly having conversations with new businesses that are opening about, you know, how, how we could work together. Um, and that's been true also on the non-food side. So more people were, you know, starting to make you know, soaps or face creams or things from home and getting certified and all of that. And then we have that option to work with them. Um, so, you know, Brexit was, but was huge, but in the long term, I think it, it was the start of this move towards, you know, Irish growing and supporting local. And that has obviously deepened since the Ukrainian war and everything else that's happening with transport and things. So it's, it's so important to us. We have, for example, I mentioned the organic flowers sourced from Irish farmers and the oats and we, you know, we haven't run out of flour through COVID, through Brexit, um, whereas, you know, mainstream supermarkets have been in that position multiple times. And, you know, I'm constantly having conversations, asking people, do you know farmers? Do you know people who are thinking about farming? And, you know, I had a conversation several months ago with a farmer who, you know, just, just called me and said, I heard about your shop from another farmer. I heard that you might be interested in selling bulk. He's been in the animal feed business, growing legumes and things, and he's interested in, in trialing, you know, beans and lentils to see what micro organically in the South of Ireland that, you know, he knows I would commit to buying. And so, um, that's, that's exciting. You know, I'm waiting this year to see, does anything pan out? This is a long-term project, but it would be incredible because, um, there are farmers growing beans and lentils and other legumes, um, also with things like quinoa in the UK. And so, um, there's definitely some learning that we could, we could take from that. And, you know, it's, it's exciting times really for there to be a focus on Irish agriculture that extends beyond beef, dairy, and some, some basic cereal grains. Well, you took the word right out of my mouth there, McKinley, because I was going to say it has been a very exciting journey for you in such a, a short space of time, like less than four years since you opened the business. Tell me, what is your vision for the future? What is your ambitions for the, the business and where do you hope it'll, it'll be in five to ten years time? Yeah, that you know, it's it's hard to know. I mean, I would hope that we're continuing to grow. It would I would ex, I would hope to expand the business. So our, our flagship shop in Westport, you know, we are very um, committed to our local community. Um, our local community has enabled us to stick around through all of these challenges and to to grow to support employment for for three people besides myself locally. And you know, I would love to see that expand. Um, but to, for that to happen. And we also have to have the expansion of, of 
you know, customer's imagination because, you know, the people who are coming to us on a regular basis basically come to us and get as much as they can from us. And then quite a lot of our customers would also be supporting local farmers who once a week drop off people's orders directly to our shop for them to collect, or they go to the, to the, um, farmers, farmers market on, um, Saturday morning, um, and then come to us. So there's this kind of, um, well, collaboration or or crossover of our, of our customers supporting local foods. But of course there are certain things, you know, we don't sell any dairy or meat or anything like that. So if, if those are things that people are looking for, then they do have to go to another shop. So it would be interesting to see how much we can expand the bulk food options, how many of those we can source from Irish suppliers directly, how we can continue to develop that cooperation with growers um, and give them options that don't include going, you know, just the supermarket route. Um, Because, you know, one of the things we've talked to, to farmers about as well is, again, how much time, effort and cost it saves them by skipping the packaging as in not having to, you know, make 25 one kilo bags of flour, but to give us a 25 kilo bag of flour that we put into a bin that seals tightly and we sell within a short period of time. Um, and that's something that I think um, is, is attractive to more people as they start to grow, just that they can focus more, you know, on the actual growing, expanding their crop offerings and have shops like ours. And there are more opening across Ireland um, that is, you know, this, clear outlet for them to to sell to so um there's that and i would love to move in i have several ideas about you know other um kind of adjacent food businesses of um you know i don't want to run a cafe or restaurant but there is some kind of food processing um just to um make it easy for certain people i um at the moment very informally um take extra organic vegetables from the local farmers and um and um, ferment them and then give them back jars of their own fermented vegetables. So um, that's something, you know, I've, I've thought about, but it's, you know, it's hard to say at the moment, um, but, but the, currently we're really focusing on, um, you know, delivering to people also who live outside the radius of any similar shop in the country. Fantastic. Well, listen, a real adventure ahead of you as well as behind you. McKinley, thank you so much for telling me about it today. If anybody wants to find out more or get in touch, where is the best place for them to go to? Yeah, thank you so much as well. Um, we are online at PaxWholeFoodsEcoGoods.com. So that's our full website. Even our local customers like to look at that to just see everything we have before they bring a jar in. And then obviously you can order online for shipping around the entire Ireland island of ireland um and then we're on facebook and instagram at pax whole foods eco goods fantastic well thanks again for talking to me thank you you're listening to the best possible taste on west limerick 102 fm Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to McKinley Neal, co-founder of Pax Whole Foods and Eco Goods which is a sustainable grocery and minimal waste shop in Westport. And earlier on in the programme we heard all about Hot Fat by Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon, the latest cookbook in the Blaster book series created by Kristen Jensen. 
If you're just tuning in now and you missed all of that, you can catch the best possible taste repeat on West Limerick 102 FM on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Russell Alford and Patrick Hanlon and McKinley Neal. Until next time, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!